Uh, I love that song. Uh, Twilight Paris just put that on iTunes on my phone. So thank you, choir, for bringing that to life once again. We appreciate it. Twilight Paris was here many years ago giving us a concert. I'm uh, Dave Mitchell, and I will be your preacher for this morning. And so it's good to be with you, and good morning to you. Are you awake? Are you with us? Are we alert? We're alive? We're well? And uh, we welcome you once again. You have an outline that is available in your bulletin because they're going to be sharing a lot of things this morning, and I know that there's none of us who's going to remember a lot of it. And so I put a lot of it on the outline because I think it's an important topic that we want to discuss this morning as we go through the book of Ephesians. We're in chapters 4 through 6, and this morning we come to the verses of 4, 26, and 27 that talk about anger. Anger is probably something that all of us have had at one time or another. It's probably something all of us could relate to in one way or another. I grew up watching the Incredible Hulk way back when Lou Ferrigno was the Incredible Hulk. And I don't know who this guy is in the screen. But often you look at people and you think, this is what the face of anger looks like. There are a variety of images that show the rage that people would experience and feel. And uh, you might have gotten a traffic ticket and that's how you felt at one point or another, or perhaps you played in a sport and uh, the referees are always against you. I was at the seventh game of the Ducks uh, the other day and uh, I heard a chant at one point telling us how bad the umpires or the referees were in that game. That's probably the reason they lost. And so you feel... Are you listening to me? Am I saying anything? Okay. You must have agreed. Okay, thank you. And then uh, I felt like every time I watched Kobe Bryant over his 20 years of playing, I always felt like he was always angry. You know what I mean? He didn't yell, but you always get that sense that he's really upset because things aren't going the way he wants it to go. And so there's a variety of faces for anger, and the Apostle Paul wants us to deal with anger in a healthy way. So he wrote these two verses. Be angry. Now, sometimes when you get texts and it's in caps, that means, you know, full force, passion, or even anger. Paul wrote this before the phenomenon of caps, <laughs> saying, this I really feel strongly about. So when you read in Bibles like the New American Standard Version, which I have on the screen here, and it's in caps, uh, way before there was a thing called texting, the Apostle Paul wrote this, and those who wrote the translation would put in caps verses that are actually quotes from the Old Testament. And so when you see all caps, it's not like they finally caught up with the texting and emails of today where there are high uh, caps that show passion. It's simply that I'm quoting from a verse in the Old Testament. In this case, it's Psalm chapter 4. Paul quotes from, and he says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And were I to try to translate that in three simple ways, I would put it this way. We can experience anger. We can experience healthy anger. Paul says, be angry. And we'll talk about it. There are some things we should be angry about. If we're not angry about there's something wrong with us. But we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to sinful anger. He says, do not sin. So you can be angry, as you well know, but there is a sinful anger. There is healthy anger, there is sinful anger, and try to distinguish the two. And so therefore, therefore, 
We must resolve our anger to avoid spiritual attacks and damage. And so anger has to have a limiter on it, like some cars have limiters that can only go so fast. Paul says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity that we'll talk about in a moment. And so therefore we know that there is healthy anger, there is sinful anger, and sinful anger leads to satanic opportunity to continue to destroy those things that are important to us. And so therefore, I put on the outline those things that I believe would help us, and God wants us to be... God's Word is such a practical book. He gives to us insights about the real things that we deal with. And you will see as we go through this, the phenomenon of anger began way back right after the Garden of Eden of the failure of Adam and Eve. One of the first most prominent sins that mankind ever committed was anger. And so Paul writes about something that God knows is a significant problem, and the Bible has a plethora, plethora of anger admonitions. And so I want us to understand some of the things that God has to say. So I tried to break it all down, and the Digging Deeper has even additional information as well. But I want us to recognize that there are forms of anger. How to live in obedience to God so that we are not angry people. It irritates me. In fact, it makes me angry when sometimes those of us who are conservative, literal believers in Scripture and take a strong stance about righteousness and holiness that sometimes we just simply come across as angry people, not righteous people. So I want us to be sure that we understand good anger and bad anger. Well, in order to do that, you need to understand some of the forms of anger. The word that Paul used in Ephesians 4 when he says, be angry yet do not sin, it's orge, and it means this, a settled or abiding condition of a mind, frequently, frequently with a view to taking revenge. It's slower to be expressed, but more lasting in nature. I'm going to show you on the screen. If you take a volcano, the volcano erupts, and then there's this volcanic flow that comes from it, and that's, that's orge. You know, you, you've had something that has upset you. Something on the ground has upset this volcano, and then there is this slow flow that comes and just destroys everything in its path. There are some people who live with that kind of a slow, simmering anger that just begins to destroy people around. But you can't identify it. It's sort of like Kobe sitting there in the sands with sort of that look of indignant nature. And then there is another kind of an anger in Scripture. It is this, thumos. This you find in a variety of passages, but it is a more agitated feeling with an outburst from indignation that clicked quickly blazes but quickly subsides. And if you take the volcano metaphor, it is much like watching someone as the volcano explodes into space and there is this sense that uh, something is unsettled underneath. There we go. Finally, something blows. And some of you are like the volcano. You, you sort of uh, are going along, and then suddenly somebody says something, something happens, something you do, something someone uh, does to you, and you're like at a volcanic eruption. But then it goes away very quickly, and you say, well, I get angry, I get angry very quickly, but it goes away. But what you don't realize is that afterwards, there's this lava flow that comes from it. 
And so I think it's good for us to understand that there are a variety of forms of anger that either is the volcanic eruption or there is the slow-moving lava, and both of them are devastating to those people that are around them. Norm Wright, who has written a lot of great stuff, looks at anger in its variety of forms. Notice some of the words that he uses to describe the reflection of anger. You may not be the eruption. You may not think you're really an angry person. But these are some of the things that angry people do. And anger motivates a person to hate, wound, damage, annihilate, despise, scorn, disdain, loathe, vilify, curse, despoil, ruin, demolish, abhor, abominate, desolate, ridicule, tease. Sometimes people, I'm not an angry person, but you go around teasing people and it's a, it's a subtle lava flow of irritation. Kid, get even with, laugh at, humiliate, goad, shame, criticize, scold. Something simmering inside it sort of comes out as a scolding and a critical attitude. Irritate, beat up, fight, we get that. Compete with, crush, offend, or bully another person. Those are synonyms of anger. Those are expressions of anger. Those are forms of anger. And I did be saying to myself, those are some things that I tend to do, and maybe there is something inside of me that's volcanic-like, but it sort of simmers out like a slow lava flow that is just driving people from me. So you need to understand the forms of anger. Then secondly, be reminded of the destructive nature of anger. I I don't think we need the reminder, but I'm going to show you how Scripture is so full of stories about destruction. There's physical destruction. Dr. Leo Maddow has written a book called Anger, How to Recognize It and How to Cope with It. Notice what Dr. Maddow says about anger. Not only does it Repressed anger produced physical symptoms from headaches to hemorrhoids. When's the last time you heard the word hemorrhoid in a Sunday morning service? (laughs) But from headaches to hemorrhoids, but it can also seriously aggravate already existing physical illnesses. Even if the illness is organic, anger can play an important role in how we respond to it. If we get angry at having the physical sickness and being disabled, unable to work, with added financial burdens, the anger can prolong both illness and convalescence. That's why we encourage folks to deal with anger. It's devastating physically. Notice in 1 Samuel 20, 34, Saul is angry with his son Jonathan. Here's the response. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food. Takes away the appetite. Physically, you lose strength. And the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. It causes the loss of appetite. It's interesting, when it was the first discovered anger, first time anger was ever known in the history of mankind was Cain in Genesis 4, right after the fall of the Garden of Eden. So Cain became very angry. First time in the history of the world, oh, there's this thing called anger in my sin nature. And his countenance fell. Anger, left unresolved, makes me depressed. 
God says your face has fallen. The face of an angry person reveals an angry heart. And often you can see that in the countenance that is there, as was the case with Cain. Be reminded of destructive nature not only physically but relationally. We know this. We probably have friends who have done this. But notice in Genesis 4, again, when Cain became angry, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and murdered him. Now, when we get angry, most of us in this room, I would guess that 99.9% of us in this room have never murdered anybody. I'll give a one point <laughs> percentage point that there might have, it might have happened. Uh, we can all be forgiven. Most of us won't kill someone, literally, as if we need a funeral. But anger can literally destroy someone. And we've seen that, seen it with friends of ours, where a father has expressed tremendous anger at a young elementary child, and that child grows up and is a different person. Never turns out to be the fullness of life and struggles for the rest of that person's life. We've seen cases where that has occurred. Notice this father-son relationships I referenced to earlier. King Saul, angry because his son Jonathan took the side of David, who was to be the king. So Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. That was the Old Testament Hebrew way of saying you SOB. That's what he's saying. He's slamming him. And can you imagine if a father says that to a son? Just think how devastating that is. And some of you, be my guess, you had a father like that. And you're struggling with it. And it still simmers inside. And we want to help those who have suffered under such emotional abuse. So anger from Saul flares at him. And he says, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. Notice how he says, I'm practically disowning you as my child. He says, you're the son of the woman over there, but you're not my son. How hard is that for a child, a son, to hear a father virtually disown him because he's so angry with him. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die, David, who is to be the king. That's a lot of anger. That's so destructive. That tears apart the fiber of one's soul. There's physical damage, there's relational damage, there's spiritual damage. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil an opportunity. The word opportunity there is a Greek word, and we get the English word topography from it. Topos. Topography. Topography. To lay out the scene of the circumstances of that region. Paul takes that term, he says, when you have unresolved anger, you have given a topography, you've given to this Satan a region of your heart and soul where he resides to dictate. That's a terrible place to live. That's a horrible thing for us to carry with us, to have a region of our soul of unresolved anger where Satan is manipulating us and comes out in criticisms and negativisms 
and blaming and shaming and attacks and cruel words. And it's just lava flow that is pushing people and situations from us. It's devastating. And when that happens, it drives God from our hearts as well. Notice in Genesis 4, after Cain became angry, killed his brother, God came to minister to him, and Cain responds to God, Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden. God is separated from Cain because the anger of his heart is unresolved. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Angry people are often lonely people. They lose social connections because who wants to be with them? Who can tolerate the vitriol that comes? And you never know when the volcano is going to blow. And it says, whoever finds me will kill me. Then Cain went out. This is such a sad thing. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. In his unresolved anger, he says, God, I walk away from you. After being so close to the Garden of Eden, it's just incredible how quickly the deterioration of the family unit and the relationships of one another. Adam and Eve have children, and the children, one kills the other out of anger. It's just incredible. You know, God could have whitewashed that. He could say, I don't want you to know all the dirt that has come into this world that I created, that I love. But he says, no. Genesis 1 through 2 is beauty. 3 is sin. 4 is devastation. In four chapters, God reveals what happens when we struggle with unresolved anger. And this is so devastating. After seeing all that dirty, negative stuff, let me show you what healthy anger looks like. You take the life of Jesus. Jesus was uh, a righteous, holy, never sinned man. But he got angry. Paul says, be angry, but don't sin. Jesus is the one we learn from then. Notice this account in Mark chapter 3. After looking around, this is Jesus. He's looking around at these Pharisees and these uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells who want to kill him. So Jesus looks around at them with anger. So he's angry. Paul says, be angry. We can get angry. How should we be angry? He was grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. This man was sick. He needed healing. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Here's Jesus healing a man's hand, and the the Pharisees want to destroy him. It's just incredible anger match that is going on here. And Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. Let me show you what I think are three traits of good anger. And we, as God's children, those of us who believe in Jesus and follow him, should have these in our lives as well. Number one is this. What I love about Christ is that he became angry. He was emotional just like you and me. But his anger was always controlled. I observe that about this text. After looking around at them. Now Jesus knew these people were coming. Jesus knew these men were going to try to kill him. And eventually they did. But notice how there is anger inside of him. 
but he just stands there and sort of looks at them and sort of gazes at them. He doesn't, he's not a volcano to erupt. He's not a lava flow that's going to destroy them. He has a lot of anger, but it's under control. And that's healthy anger. We should be angry. There are things that should make us angry. I've been praying with a family whose son and grandson is across the street. Chris Chavez, as you might have heard in the news, was hit by a hit-and-run driver who got out of the car after hitting him, running a red light, looks at his body, gets back in her car, and drives away. Somebody like that makes me angry. And she still has not been discovered. And maybe somebody you know who she is, driving a 2005 Black 5 Series BMW. She's in the news. There's $20,000 to help catch her. People who do things like that, that stirs anger. But it's not anger in the sense that it's out of control. It's anger that's in control because we care about those things. Proverbs 16.32 says, He who rules his spirit is better than he who captures a city. So anger and control is like he who rules a city. I have it under control, but it still bothers me because I am angry at the right motivation. It's under control, and it's against sinful rebellion. Anger grieved at their hardness of heart. He wasn't angry because he wasn't getting his own way. He wasn't angry because things, people are against him. He's angry because there's sin that is being unresolved, that is hardness of heart, and that angers me. It should stir us. It should have a passion in us that there are those who are refusing the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of Christ. Why don't they receive that? I don't understand all that. I pray for people all the time who have yet to yield their lives to Christ. And I'm thinking, why is that? But there's a stirring. There should be a passion within us that we're angry at sinful rebellion. It should cause us to ache inside. There's a lot of stuff going on in America today in politics. There's a lot of horrible stuff that ISIS and others are doing of terrorism in other countries. That should stir us to anger that's under control, that is always under control, so that I can use it in a positive way. Notice he says, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The anger that I feel that is controlled, that is against sinful rebellion, is then released. Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, let me read the text for you, is a great passage of showing the positive nature of how we deal with those things that are so hurtful and destructive to us. Romans 12 says this in verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The volcanic anger of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But if you give an enemy, and here is this positive word, if you give your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Take this anger and express it in feeding your enemy who is trying to destroy you. Use it in a positive way. 
And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink because he didn't expect you to give him something to drink. He expects some reaction of vengeance and anger in response. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And there's the irony. When you do good by feeding and giving food to those that you are angry with, you actually are getting what you really want. You're heaping burning coals on their head. And so God says in a subtle way, it's sort of an irony there, isn't there? But we don't do it for that reason. We do it because we want them to change. Because God says, I want to bring about the good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we take this, and this is what Jesus does. He takes this anger, and he says, I'm not going to let you get away with this, Pharisees. I'm not going to let you destroy the good that I've come to do. I'm going to still heal this man's hand, so you will not stop me from the good that I've come here to do. But in his anger, he expresses love. He feeds the hungry. He cares for the poor. That's healthy anger. And if you've got that, you're on a good path. But then God says, here are things you need to do. There are steps that we need to take to experience healthy anger. And I think that the first thing that struck me as I read through the various, there's lots of other passages that we didn't have time to get into, is to assess and admit that I've got anger. I I, I recognize it when it is beginning to stir within me. And I want to address it and do something about it. What I love about God is that he models for us what we should do with our own anger. Notice these two passages. In in Jonah 4, Jonah, the prophet, became angry because God wasn't destroying Nineveh, and he wanted them to destroy Nineveh. So God comes to Jonah in his last chapter, in chapter 4, and the Lord says, do you have good reason to be angry? That's how kind God is. Talk to me about your anger. Let's assess the reasons behind it. I'm willing to explore it with you, Jonah, to Cain. God came to Cain as he's murdering his brother. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Talk to me about it. So many of the Psalms are filled with anger. God can handle your anger. God is asking you why you're angry. God wants you to tell him about your anger. And so I need to assess it. I need to admit it. I need to be real with it and not stuff it inside. Secondly, I need to temporarily sometimes remove myself from the source of my anger. What I love about Mark 3, when Jesus became angry with the Pharisees and the Herodians, what does he do? It says in the text, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. You know, if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, I'm going to debate these guys and ruin them in my debating skills. That's not what Jesus did. He says, I'm angry, I'm going to heal the man's hand, and I'm getting out of here. Because we're not going to do this verbal match, so I'm going to remove myself from that situation. You need to remove yourself sometimes. Proverbs 22 says this, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. You know, on a very sublime, ridiculous level, many, many, many years ago now, and the older you get, you add more many uh, to that every time you say it. 
We had a little dog named Barney, cute little white thing, and Joy bought him when we were at Dallas Seminary, and I was in seminary, and she was at a pet store, and he was a little mutt, and, and uh, he was $13, I think, and so she brought him home to our apartment. I said, what? Did we talk about this? You know, uh, anyway, so we, we enjoyed Barney, and Barney became part of our family for, I don't know, let's see, eight, nine, ten years, something like that. So we loved little Barney. And then we had Jessica. Jessica is our firstborn child. And Jessica became a little toddler and would wander around, and, and Jessica began to play in Barney's dog food. Well, sometimes she would play in Barney's dog food when Barney was there eating his dog food. And you know what Barney did? Barney bit Jessica. And I got real angry with Barney. How dare you bite our child? Yes, you were our first baby, Barney, but you don't have priority over Jessica. You're just a dog, but she's a child. And you know what happened to Barney? Yeah, sorry. I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but Barney is in heaven someday. We'll go visit him. But uh, we separated them, and we determined I'm not going to live this way with fear of an angry dog. He just never got used to not being the center of our attention. And so, anyways, we had sibling rivalry, and there's a lot of problems. So you sometimes have to remove yourself. And I've been involved in situations where uh, women have lived with angry husbands who in some cases would put their fist through the drywall of the home and have gone and actually literally helped move that wife from that angry husband's residence. You don't stay and debate. You remove. Remember Jesus. He withdrew. He didn't debate. He withdrew. You separate from. God says, don't hang out with them. They're going to be a snare for you. And I need to understand the distinction of that. Thirdly, you need to talk about the reasons for your anger with God and a mature Christian. That's why we have a mentor meetup tonight. The mentor meetup is designed to give you an opportunity to have somebody who is a safe and loving and gracious person, and we try to match that up. We don't put people with people who are going to you know, stoke the fires of anger, but if you've got anger, you have an opportunity to be with a mature believer that says what God said to Jonah, what he said to Cain. Why are you angry? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why. Where does this go? Where does this come from? What are those things? Because there are four options that you have. Notice these things. You can, in your anger, repress it. That's what Satan does. He stuffs it inside. You can suppress it. That's what Cain did, where it slowly is revealed in sarcasm and criticism and sort of the cynical view of life, sort of blaming everybody else for my lot in life. That's sort of that suppression where I just sort of stuff it. I know it, but I stuff it. I don't allow it to be dialogue with anybody because I don't want to fully admit it. That's Cain. And it comes out in very destructive ways. Or you can express it negatively with hurtful words. That goes back to Saul and his calling his son Jonathan, you son of a perverse woman. You can say those things if you want. That's an option. But it's wrong. Or you can do what Jesus did, express it positively. Find God 
through Jesus Christ and a godly saint that you can come and say, I am so angry. I was so hurt by. I am so, I am so rebellious against my boss, my spouse, my children, my neighbor, government, or whatever the thing is that's triggering for you. Find someone to work it out so it doesn't come out negatively. And then finally, prayerfully confess sinful anger and pursue what is good to avoid revenge because we want to get our pound of flesh. We're going to be talking about forgiveness in a couple of weeks. And it's so important that we resolve this in a healthy way. You know, I um, put in my email this last week an amazing story to me. And it's a story of Carissa Smith. And she was in the library with her little uh, four-month-old baby. And she was walking through the aisles looking at books. And the little baby was doing what babies do, babbling and cooing. And sort of a happy little moment and, and creating some of this noise. And there's an older man, probably in his 60s, who looked and came over to her and says, you better shut that baby up or I'll shut it up for you. You know, that was pretty, pretty angry. So he's very angry. And she turned, Carissa turned to him. And in her boldness and embracing herself said, there's no way you're going to shut this baby up or I'll shut you up. And so then she didn't know how he was going to respond to that. And he took a step back. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. And he began to cry. So Carissa said, come on over here, let's sit. I want to hear what your story is. And as he sat there and talked with her, he says, I had a two-year-old little son who died. And that was 50 years ago, or more than that. And over the last 50 years, I've had so much anger at God. I've lost my marriage, lost my job. It's destroyed my life. And as he began to pour his out, heart out to Carissa, she began to sympathize and empathize with where that anger at her little four-month-old was coming from. So much so that he then said, could I hold your baby? And she, I don't know if I would have done that, but gave it to him, gave the little girl to him. He held her and put his head down on her head and just wept. And he says, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for caring about me. And it began to soften. She said, literally, like his shoulders just began to, loosen up. And so much of our life we are filled with this anger that in his case has been boiling up inside and this lava flow that volcanically comes out every so often because for 50 years he suppressed it and didn't deal with it. And God wants to come alongside us and help us. That's why he says so much just Google anger in the Bible. You'll be amazed how much God says about that because he wants to help us. When Paul wrote this, he says, I want to go all the way back to Psalm. This is where he says, tremble and do not sin or be angry and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed. And we also see that in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And that's what we want for us. 
if anger is something that is simmering inside, and if someone was honest enough to say, you know, you're like the lava flow. Every time I try to get close, I get burned. We want to help draw that out in a healthy way so that we assess and admit, we separate from, we find godly people to talk to about that and then prayerfully bring it to the Lord. Sisis was a 4th century pastor. He was responsible for mentoring young wannabe pastors. And one of those young pastors that he was mentoring came up to him and said one day, I am so angry with so-and-so, one of their fellow peers that are in this ministry being trained. I will never forgive him. I will never, ever, ever forgive him. I am so angry with him. And Sisis, real guy, says, come over here. Let's pray. I need to tell God something. He says, okay. So Sisis prays this prayer. He says, God in heaven, we've come to a point in our lives, my friend and I, where we no longer need you. We will handle all the problems in the world on our own. And we'll settle the scores as they need to be settled. So thanks, God, but we're moving on. Goodbye. And when that young mentoree heard that prayer, he was broken. Because what he was saying is that I can handle this. No, you can't. God wants to settle the scores. God wants to bring healing to the heart. And don't think you, do, you can say to God, I don't need you anymore. Cain tried that. It didn't work out. It won't work out for you either. So I invite you in this moment, let me just pray. We're going to receive our communion as well. It's an opportunity for us to sort of assess and admit and get right and allow what Proverbs 28, 13 says. You confess your sins, you will find compassion. We want that to be true for us. So let me pray for us. Help us, Father, as we deal with an area of emotion that sometimes it's hard for us to acknowledge or admit. And I suspect that most of us in this room have had to deal with someone who has been in an angry state, whether it's expressed through a shame-based, blaming attitude, a critical, cynical view of life, or just outright hurtful words and deeds, whether it's the volcanic explosion or the slow-moving lava, we know that all of them destroy. So I invite, Father, any who right now want to say, God, you knew about Cain's anger and asked him about his anger. You, you knew about Jonah. You asked him about... So God, I want to bring my anger to you now. And I want to confess it. I want it to be made right. I want your forgiveness. I want your healing power. I want you to change me. And if you've never received Christ and allowed his forgiveness, first of all, to be yours, pray this, God in heaven, I do need you. I turn to you now. 
I confess my sins, whether it be anger or anything else. Forgive me as I trust in Jesus as my Savior and seek to live as if he's my Lord. Thank you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As we take the elements, it's our chance to say, yes, I am in communion with the Father. The bread symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ. As the bread is passed, would you hold on to it until we can come and take it together?